Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his word. Um, Lord, uh, this passage of scripture uh, that you've given us that we're gonna study today uh, has really uh, come to mean the world to me. Um, it's in, impacted me in major, major ways. And I, I just pray that uh, this message is helpful today. Um, and uh, we thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Let me ask you a question. If I were to look at your Netflix or your Amazon account or, or something, your DVR, uh, what would that say about your favorite shows to watch? Are you a romantic comedy person? Uh, are you a comedy person? Are you a thriller person? Are you a Downton Abbey person? We are praying for you. Um, uh, if I were to open up your Kindle or to study uh, your, library, uh, your library checkouts and things like that, what would those things say about what your favorite types of books are to read? Uh, are you a mystery person? Are you a biography person? Are you a history person? If I were to open up your iTunes uh, or your phone, what, what is your favorite music to play? We have a habit whenever we're on a family trip that uh, each part, part person in our family gets to be the DJ and gets to play music for a while. And you learn a lot about um, the, the, the people in your family by figuring out what songs uh, that they like to listen to. I don't let people look at my iTunes page because you know, next thing I know Backstreet Boys is coming up and I get very embarrassed by that sort of thing, all right? So uh, if I were to look at your online banking, uh, what would it say about how you spend money? Are you into gadgets? Are you into experiences? Are you into food and eating out? Um, each of us would learn a lot by, by studying that. And the, the Bible's the same way. I think everybody uh, uh, that, that, that uh, loves to read God's word probably has a couple go-to passages uh, that are really encouraging to them. And I don't know if you can say this in church, but maybe passages that are your favorite. And you're like, well, they're all my favorite. I get it, you're better than me, all right? So, um, but you know, just passages that tend to be your favorites. And now that we have so many digital Bibles out there, we actually know that there are certain passages that people read again and again and again. Passages like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Number one, that was number one. That's the number one most read passage. You can understand why. That's a very encouraging verse. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Number two, that was number two. Number three, 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through eight. For anybody that's ever been to a wedding, you've heard this, right? Uh, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And that's number three. Number four, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And this was like a legit shock to me. Uh, number, number five of the most read uh, Bible passages on, on any sort of digital Bible, John 3.16. Kind of surprised me. I thought that would be right at the top. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the passage we're going to study today um, 
this series is all about favorites. This has become my favorite passage in the Bible. It was number six, all right? So uh, it just kind of worked out that way. But th- this, is, this is one of my favorites. And during, during my senior year of high school, I went to a Christian school, and part of the tradition of that Christian school was that every senior class would pick out a verse, and it would become kind of the theme verse for the school for the year. And uh, my senior year of high school, our class picked Job 23.10, which says, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I thought it was a little intense for a school verse, to be totally honest with you. Right, you're going to Job, you know, uh, who lost everything. I was like, seems a little intense for senior year of high school, but, but it's okay. Job 23.10 became our verse. And about three months later, my mom passed away very suddenly. And that verse uh, for, for the next 20 years became kind of a verse for me that I, that I hung on to very, very tightly. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. That suffering does have this way of... of bringing about gold, bringing about good things. And it was my favorite verse that, that I would hold on to until about six years ago. Uh, about six years ago, uh, we did a series at this church on the book of Romans. And while I was studying uh, for that series, uh, I came across Romans 8. Um, and if you have your Bibles and want to open them, that's where we're going to be today. And as I studied Romans 8, and as I dove into Romans 8, Romans 8 became one of, my, one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. And Romans 8 has become a passage of Scripture. If you've ever come in to, to see me for, for counseling or advice or, or things like that, I often will point Christians to Romans 8 uh, as a source of encouragement and as a source of hope. Now, in Romans 8, in Romans 1 through 7, Paul, uh, throughout, that ver- throughout those chapters, has been kind of declaring and preaching the gospel that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that we have been justified, we've been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and we now have peace with God because of Jesus, that you can have the relationship with God you were created to have because of Jesus' work on the cross. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. And as the, the passages roll on in Romans 8, he begins to talk about the life that God has in store for you, the life that God wants you to live. And in Romans 8, he pauses just for a minute in the middle of this conversation about life, and he encourages Christians that you're not on your own in this thing called life, that Jesus, through his great grace, has given you the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in a church that did not talk a ton about the Holy Spirit. Um, some of you grew up maybe in churches that talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, right? I, I grew up in a church that didn't talk very much about the Holy Spirit. So when I first started getting kind of exposed to the idea of the Spirit, I was just really moved by it because it's so amazing to me that God does not just tell us how to live and say you're on your own. He gives you his Spirit to help you and aid you. And this passage, uh, Romans 8, is just so encouraging about how we're not on our own and what the Spirit does in us and for us in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian. So let's start in verse 11. And I just kind of, we're going to do a little Bible study on Romans 8 together this morning. And then Romans 8 ends uh, with this incredible, incredible passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I have to say, uh, when when we were singing this morning, I did not realize how many worship songs that we sing are based on Romans 8. All right, as we go through this passage, we sang that this morning, and we did. A lot of passages of scripture from Romans that we sing are based on this passage. So Romans eight eleven, 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. And so the first thing that Paul wants to encourage us with, encourage us with this morning is that the spirit gives life. The Spirit gives you life. That it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus really, really ticked off some religious leaders of his day. They orchestrated a series of sham trials. They, they, they routed him in that way. They sentenced him to death. They hung him on a cross. They put him in a grave. And he was dead. And three days later, by the power of the Spirit, he lived again. And he walked around and he spent time ministering to and talking to five, uh, 500 followers and, and even more. And here's the deal. The spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is, a, is alive and in you. Think about that just for a minute because it is amazing. Because just like I told the, the story of how Jesus died and, and eventually rose again, this is going to be kind of a dark thought, but just go there with me just for a minute. Someday your ancestors are gonna tell the story of your death. Welcome to Northwest. All right. Someday somebody's gonna tell a story of your death. That it probably won't be that you hung on a cross, but it will be, you know, grandpa, grandma, brother, sister, whatever, got cancer or had a stroke or had a heart attack. And on a cold day or a hot day or a windy day or a rainy day, we went to the cemetery and we laid them to rest. But I want you to know, here's the encouraging part of this. That because of the spirit living inside of you, that will not be the end of your story. Isn't that great news? That that is not the end of your story when they, when they lay you in, in the ground because of the spirit. That just like the spirit rose Jesus Christ from the grave and rose him to life, that's exactly what will happen to you. That, that what was a very mortal body will be replaced by an immortal body, the Bible says. An immortal body means that you will have a body that is free of cancer, that is free of stroke, free of disease, free of all disease forever, and we will live with him in paradise. That is part of the Spirit's work in you. And Paul wants to encourage you with this. That life, eternal life begins right now. Eternal life begins the moment you place your faith in Jesus because we know that we just live forever with him. And so we're walking with him now. We're enjoying him now. We're enjoying each other now. We're about to have a huge party right after church because we believe life is to be lived and life begins right now. It's encouraging and we tend to live, and I get this, we tend to live in great fear and anxiety about our death uh, because a lot of times we just don't know and we don't know how it's going to happen. That causes us fear and anxiety. But this passage reminds us that because of the spirit, we don't need to be afraid because just like Jesus was raised, just like Jesus rose from the dead, we too will be raised. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. All right, so the Spirit testifies, the Spirit that Jesus gives us testifies that you and I are sons and daughters of God. We are God's children. That because you are a Christian and because he's given you the spirit, that we are able to cry out to, to God and we are able to call God. Think about this for a minute. You are able to call God Abba, which literally is translated as daddy. 
You are able to refer to God as your dad uh, because of the work that Jesus Christ has done. Fred Craddock, uh, a famous uh, preacher who recently retired, but he tells a story of being uh, on vacation in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And they were at one of those kind of little diners in in Gatlinburg and they were eating breakfast. And a man walked up to Fred and said, hey, are you guys on vacation? And Fred just kind of curtly said yes, honestly hoping the man would go away. And and the man followed up with a question and said, what do you do for a living? And Fred Craddock thought, I've got the perfect answer to end this conversation. I'm a preacher. Show stopper, trust me, all right? When you're at at the gym, when you're on the airplane, whatever, what do you do for a living? Preacher, all of a sudden the conversation ends, all right? So he was right about that. And and the man said, oh, great, you're a preacher. I've got a story for you from my life, and you can can use this someday in a sermon. And Fred's like, okay, you know, whatever sort of thing. But the man went on to talk about how he grew up in a small town in Tennessee. And this man, he didn't know who his dad was. He was never told. And all the kids around him knew that nobody knew who his dad was. And they used to make fun of this boy, calling him the most terrible names, questioning, making up stories about who his dad was. And so the boy just kind of learned to avoid people. And he became very shy. He kept to himself. And one day he heard that the local church in town had hired a new preacher. And he'd never been to church before. And he thought he'd try out the new, new church. And he went and he loved this preacher. He loved the preacher and he began to go every week. And most Sundays he would slip in and he'd slip out because he avoided people. Uh, He avoided people because of his past and because of his history. And one Sunday he wasn't able to slip out. And the pastor put his hand on on the boy's shoulder and he said, who are you, young man? The young boy, he didn't say anything. And the pastor said, what I mean is, whose son are you? Whose son are you? And the little, boy, the little boy began to just shake with fear. He didn't know what to say. Um, he, he shook from his head to his toes. And the pastor finally said, oh, I know you. I know who you are. You are God's child. You are God's son. And the man looked at Fred Craddock and, he, and tears in his eyes all these years later. He said, those words changed my life forever. And he walked out the door. And the waitress came running up and said to Fred Craddock, he said, do you know who that was? And he said, no, she said, that was Ben Hooper, two-term governor of the, state of, of the state of Tennessee. He said, those words changed his life forever. So I just want to ask you this morning, do you know who you are? The Spirit testifies this morning. I want you to understand this. The Spirit is in this room and is inside of you as a Christian, trying to lay onto your heart and, and onto your mind that you are God's child. You are his loved son. You are his loved daughter. You are his. And if you're like most people through your years, you have probably had people try to tell you who you are. You are a liar. You are a loser. You are the one that no one can count on. You've probably had person after person after person try to tell you who you are. Paul is trying to tell you in Romans 8, and he's trying to tell you by the Spirit, and he's trying to testify to you that you are God's child. You are his son or you are his daughter. And here's the challenge for you and me. Put it up on the screen for you. Here's the question. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose voice are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to your daddy's voice or your mommy's voice or your aunt's voice or your uncle's voice? Are you going to listen to voices that have maybe told you you are less than or you don't matter or you don't have a future? Are you going to listen to those voices or are you going to allow the spirit to impress his truth on you this morning that you are a loved and beloved child of God? And you may not even know that yet. Maybe you're here today and you haven't even decided about this whole faith thing. I want you to know God loves you. 
And you are his son, you are his daughter, and he wants to be in a relationship with you. And so the spirit is pressing this truth into this room right right now. Um, And I believe this is so important. And the reason I told the story earlier is that you and I will make decisions based on who we believe we are. We absolutely will. If you believe you are a loser, if you believe you are no good, if you believe that you screw everything up, you will make decisions based on who you are. And if you believe, like I hope you believe, that you are a son or daughter of God and that he loves you very much, you will make decisions based on that. And I'm telling you, when I've seen people understand this truth, it truly is life-changing. That when you begin to cancel out the negative voices from your past or the negative voices from your present and you begin to understand who God says that you are and you begin to walk around in that identity, I have seen life after life after life change simply because they they are listening to a different voice. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with uh, with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Paul says the next thing the Spirit does is intercedes our prayers. You have to understand that Paul talks a lot in his writings and he talks a lot in the book of Romans about the sufferings and hardships of this world and how things just don't function the way that they should, and there's hardship, and there's difficulty, and life stinks sometimes. And and Paul will kind of intimate to us that sometimes Paul just doesn't know what to pray, that things are bad enough, and things are hard enough. And Paul's articulated this in a couple other passages, that sometimes he just doesn't know what to pray, because the pain is so deep, the pain is so strong, I don't even know what I should be asking God for. And Paul says that in those moments when you don't know what to pray, and even in those moments when you do, the Spirit steps in and the Spirit prays to God for us. When, when, especially when you don't know what to pray. The Spirit says, I know what to pray because I know what you need. And the Spirit intercedes on your behalf before God. I remember um, a pastor I know and love one time was talking about um, going uh, to the hospital one day. And there was a woman at the hospital uh, that, that was... Um, uh, going to be passing away probably in the next week or two. Um, she, she was in, in pretty tough shape. And he walked in and he spent some time with her. And at the end of the visit, he said, can I pray uh, for you and with you? And she said, yes. And he lifted up her, her situation and um, uh, said a prayer. And he was getting ready to leave. And he looked back at her and he said, I'm sorry I couldn't do more for you. And she grabbed his arm. All right? She grabbed his arm. And she said, what are you talking about? You have lifted up my situation before an all-powerful God. You have done everything for me. And that's true. And God loves you so much, and God loves me so much, that when we don't even know what to pray for, he makes it possible for our prayers and our needs to be lifted before God. He goes to the Father and says, man, listen, Steve doesn't even know this yet, but he needs hope. So I'm praying for hope for Steve. Cheryl doesn't even know this yet. She needs peace. I'm praying for peace for her. Mike doesn't even know this yet. They need help. I'm praying for help for for them. And God loves us so much that he, he, he developed this system that when we don't even know what we need and we don't even know that we need it, the spirit, and we don't even know what to pray for, the spirit is taking your situation before an almighty God so that those prayers can be heard. The Holy Spirit brings your situations to him, to, to a God that can change your circumstances, a God that can alter your situation, a God that can meet your greatest needs. And here's what I hope. 
I hope that is enormously encouraging to you. That God loves us so much that he designed this system because there are many times, I don't know about you, just kind of confession time, there's a lot of times I don't know what to pray. That somebody in, in small group or somebody in my office or whatever will kind of lay out their situation and I know I'm supposed to have the answers and I know I'm supposed to be like the wise one. <laughs> and I'm getting there going, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. The spirit intercedes because the spirit knows what the situation needs and the spirit knows what to say and the spirit knows what they need when they don't even know what they need. And I don't know what they need. Nobody maybe knows what they need but the spirit. And the spirit takes that before God. So here's what I want to encourage you with. You know, sometimes it's okay to pray and just be quiet. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you're in a prayer circle. This used to happen to me at camp, all right? You know, you're holding hands and, you know, Christian camp, you're holding hands and everybody's praying. And the person, like, right before you would pray and you're like, oh man, that's a good prayer. That's like a really good prayer. And you start to feel all this pressure about, I need to have a good prayer, Right? I'm going to like totally bomb this prayer circle. Right? If my prayer stinks, I'm going to bomb this prayer circle. And, and, and I think even in our private lives, we feel all of this pressure that like somehow we have to be like impressive to God. God's got a really great vocabulary. You don't have to impress him with yours. Right? And God knows what you need even before you know what, what you need. So I want to encourage you. Sometimes it is okay to be still and know that he is God. To, to be quiet and to, to pray but to not always know what to say. I know uh, one preacher that I like to listen to talks about that when you get in those moments where like, I don't even know what this situation needs, you just pray the name of Jesus. And Jesus, 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 I, I, I wanna know what, what I need and I, I want you to intercede on my behalf. And the spirit, that's when the spirit is showing up and he's praying for you, verse 28. And in other words, because of the spirit, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that we might be firstborn among the brothers. That there uh, is this thing that God is doing. This is kind of one of the passages that we got our vision statement as a church. That we are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. We believe that this is the ultimate thing that God wants uh, for us uh, it is to look more and more like Jesus. So the Spirit is always doing this work. The Spirit is always trying to use things to help us to look more and more like Jesus. I, this is one of the things I love about the Bible, is that God doesn't just say, hey, uh, my son was and is awesome. Be, be like him. Peace out. Right? He didn't do that. He said, hey, I want you to be more like my son, and I'm going to give you his Spirit to help you do it. And so one of the things this passage teaches is that God can use all things to accomplish that purpose. He can use all things to help you look more and more like Jesus. Even some things that, that we wouldn't even imagine that he can use. Things where people have hurt us and, and everybody else gets angry, but the spirit uses that to make you more like Jesus who, who loved his enemies. The, the spirit can use a circumstance like that to, to help you look more like Jesus. It means the disease that the family member is facing. Maybe when everybody else would lose hope, the spirit is using that circumstance, using it to, to, to birth in you a hope and a peace that surpasses under, understanding. Uh, it means that in this world where anxiety is real and everybody's feeling anxious about the future, the spirit can use those circumstances to help you look more like Jesus who in the middle of difficult circumstances became more reliant on his heavenly father. So, so the spirit is using all these things. This is what it means. All things work to the good. 
He's using all of these things to shape us and mold us and, and increase our character and help us to look more like Jesus. And then Paul is gonna come to the conclusion of all the, based on all these things. I'm gonna read it to you. We're gonna start it in verse 16. It's gonna be on the screen. Um, and I thought about having us read it together, but it's kind of long and uh, Paul could be a little verbose. And so it's not a passage that we could all like, just read together, but follow along with it and internalize these words. What then shall we, res- what shall we say in response to these things? What are we gonna say? Because of the work of the Spirit, because what the Spirit has done, because God hasn't left us on our own, because God is helping us with life, what shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered to be as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a great way to end a passage of scripture. Paul asks a series of questions that I think are very important for us this morning. That based on everything that we've read and and looked at in Romans 8, his first question is, who is going to condemn you? Who is going to condemn you? In other words, who's going to stand against you? Who's going to bring a charge against you? Who's going to say that you are defined by your sins and that, that you're not God's child or that you're no good? Who's going to be able to say that when the spirit of the living God is living inside of you and is pressing that truth into your spirit and into your soul? That people can say whatever they want about you, but with the spirit of the living God inside of you, you will know who you are. You will know who you are. Another great question Paul asks is, what can separate you from God's love? Look at verse 35. Will trouble separate you? Will hardship separate you? Will persecution separate you? Will famine, will nakedness, will danger, will will the sword? And he's saying that in this broken and fallen world, uh, there are things that those things can take away from you. But one of those things that, that cannot be taken away from you because of the spirit living inside of you is an understanding of God's love. And so I say to people all the time, and I have internalized this for myself as well, that there is a lot that can be taken away from you. There are some things that can never be taken away from you. And and focus on those things and hold onto those things because it it is God's love, that nothing can separate you from God's love because of the spirit of God filling your heart and your mind with that love. This last question, who is going to defeat you? Who's going to defeat you? That in all things, because of the Spirit, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors through him who has loved us. The Spirit has a history of doing this sort of thing. I talked about Jesus, 
who was dead and placed inside of the tomb and the forces of this world and the evil forces of the next world thought they had defeated God on Friday, but on Sunday, the spirit kicked in and rose Jesus victorious. And this is what the spirit did. And this is what the spirit does again and again and again. Because sometimes if we can be honest in church, sometimes it just feels like Friday. Cancer feels like Friday. Divorce feels like Friday. Suffering feels like Friday. But because of the spirit of God, we can know Sunday is coming. And so we are not defeated by our struggles. We are not destroyed by our struggles. We are not torn apart by our struggles. We are more than conquerors because of hope. Because of hope. We know that just because it's Friday, we we know that in just two short days, Sunday is coming. Not because we are so strong, but because the Spirit of God is so strong in us. Say, what does that mean? It means that we know that God can work all things for good. Even on Friday, God can work all things for good. On Friday, Jesus paid for our sins. On Sunday, he rose victorious. So even on one of the worst days, uh, God used those things for good. It means we can know he, he can work all things for good. It means that we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing. So we hold on to that. Even when, we, when we've lost relationship or lost health or, 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 or lost things that, that we hold on to, nobody, nobody can take the love of God from me because it is, a, it is an internal work of the Spirit. And it means that we keep the faith on Friday, knowing that Sunday is coming, that God is in the resurrection business. And no matter, no, no matter how bad Friday looks, no matter how bad Friday looks, we know God is in the resurrection business and that Sunday's coming and he will bring resurrection to my situation too. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul um, who went through his share of Fridays and he went through his share of suffering. And he went through his share. He knows what he's talking about here. Um, And he knows that resurrection's coming. He knows that hope will win the the day. He knows that resurrection will win the day. And we thank you and praise you for his encouragement. That life is tough and life can be hard. But you have guaranteed us that we are not alone. That we have the spirit, uh, your spirit, living inside of us bringing resurrection, bringing joy, bringing hope, bringing peace in this broken and fallen world. So we are not alone. We are not alone. You are with us. You have given us church. Uh, You've given us church family. So help us to to never let go of hope and and to never uh, let go of resilience, that we would be resilient in, in the face of suffering, knowing that you're about to do, when it's Friday, you are about to do your greatest resurrection work. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Hey, will you stand with me? Uh, we're gonna sing a song of invitation. And uh, man, we'd love, to, we'd love to talk to you some more about Jesus. If you uh, would like to know more uh, about him, um, we'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you're uh, a Christian and, and you just have a prayer request or prayer need, we love praying uh, with people. Uh, we love praying for each other and taking our situations to a God who can change things, a God who can do things a God who can alter the future. So we'd love to pray with you as well. Um, You come forward for any reason as we sing this song.